We'll continue on with reading from Ephesians, from chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose in him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority of power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The sermon I'm privileged to read this morning is by Reverend Peter Smith and it's called Blessed Beyond Reason. The text for this, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. The text for this comes from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the beginning of the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we require possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a portrait of a living church. It captures the church in all of its differing aspects of beauty and power. More importantly, it helps us to see the head of the church, God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote this letter to Christians. He addresses them as the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. These were people who had turned to Christ in an idolatrous city. Idol worship of the god, goddess Amitris was the norm in Ephesus. Oh, sorry, Artemis, I should say, was her name. Artemis was pictured as an eternally young woman, beautiful and vigorous, wearing a short costume which left her legs free. She was believed to be the defender and guardian of women in childbirth and of wild, wildlife in general. She opposed the marriage of institution, uh, the institution of marriage. Well, she didn't because she was just a stone-carved piece of metal or wood or timber. But when Paul came to Ephesus in, in AD 53 or 55, he preached Jesus Christ and the good news of salvation. He clearly spoke against the worship of Artemis and idols. God did amazing miracles through Paul. The sick were healed, demonized people were set free, and many came to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. The city was hugely impacted. Sorcerers came to Christ, confessed their evil ways and burned their scrolls worth about 10 million in today's currency. The Lord's word spread widely and grew in power. The silversmiths heard that Paul said their idols were not gods and this strongly threatened their trade. They gathered together and started a great uproar which culminated in a huge mob shouting for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Then, about five years later, in AD 60, Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. And Paul greets them with two significant words, grace and peace. Grace and peace, which comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the source of grace, God's unmerited favour to us. And Jesus is the source of peace, a restored relationship with God. Then Paul launches into a wonderful waterfall of praise 
thanksgiving to God. It's one long sweeping sentence where it doesn't even pause for breath. No punctuation for 202 words. It's all about grace, all about what God has done for us. If you've committed your life to following Jesus, what Paul teaches here is also true for you. Praise God. That's how verse 3 begins. It begins with words that more literally could be translated as blessed be God. Now it might sound strange to say that we bless God, but it's a common expression enough in the Bible. And it's a response to his blessing in our lives. When God blesses us, he provides richly for us. When we bless God, we thank God for all of his rich provision. Praise God who is blessed who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Of course, in the Old Testament times, God's blessings were often seen as a very material thing, land, prosperity, and such like. But in New Testament times, God's blessings are largely spiritual. They are blessings in heavenly realms, the supernatural unseen world where God's work is unseen, but it's oh so real. What spiritual blessings is Paul talking about here in particular then? The passage before us outlines three massive blessings. We've been chosen, forgiven, and sealed by his spirit. Another way of saying this would be election, redemption, and spiritual life. So let's look at each of these in turn. Number one, he's chosen you. From Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, it says... For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose us in him before time began. In eternity past, God had a purpose in mind. God's purpose linked us to Jesus. God put you, me, and Jesus together in his mind. Of course, before creation, God knew all about our sin. He knew our rebellion against him that would enter into our lives and come to characterise us. <coughs> Excuse me. But God said, I choose to save you. I choose to link you to Christ to adopt you into my family. And I do this because I love you and because I delight to know and show my mercy to you. This is my good pleasure and will. So God chose us, and God adopted us. But often people say, but I repented. I chose God. How can you say that God took the initiative? Yes, you did chose God or Christ. You chose him freely. But only because in eternity past, before he made the world, God chose you. It's a wonderful mystery and it's also true. God chose you not because of anything you would do. By grace, God chose you. You were predestined from eternity. God planned and put into effect your final destiny. You were adopted, giving you all the legal rights of being a child of God and securing your eternal inheritance. And Paul goes on, God chose you for a purpose, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
God chose you in Christ to make you like Christ, holy and blameless, free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame in God's sight, because in Jesus you are holy. You know, when you think about it, when you work it around in your mind, with all its consequences, it can be overwhelming. Even before God, even before creation, God shows his mercy and then personally chose me, chose you to be saved. Not a roll of a dice, not a turn of a card, but he chose us. God says, you are my child. You were in my mind before I created the world. I chose you. I predestined you to be joined to my son in faith. Now start living like a chosen one. Choose to be holy. I mean, if you were chosen to be a prince or princess, with all the legal rights, all the power and authority of royalty, you'd, you'd seek to live like one, wouldn't you? Well, this sermon was written a fair few years ago, and uh, recent times we've seen that some of the royal children are not really living up to their calling. But then again, you know that's just like us as well. And this is why Paul continues with an even more reason for praising God. Number two, he has forgiven you. People can carry, can carry guilt for years. Below the surface, guilt corrodes their soul. It steals joy and peace. It accuses and oppresses. Just like we read in Psalm, Psalm 34 at the beginning of the service, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in a heat by summer. That's why we need a saviour. We need rescuing from our guilt before God. We need to be redeemed. In New Testament times, slaves could be redeemed. Redemption means deliverance by a payment of a price. It was possible to pay a redemption price to buy a slave his freedom. But Jesus redeemed us, us, slaves to sin. The price he paid was his blood sacrificed on the cross. His sacrifice paid for our sin completely and totally for all time. When we confess our sin, we ask for, we ask for forgiveness. When we repent and turn away from sin, God forgives. What God linked together in his mind before creation you and Jesus, becomes a reality. The purity of Jesus gets linked to you. Jesus' righteousness covers your guilt. Look at the words in Ephesians verses 1, 7 and 8. In, a, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Forgiveness comes from the forgiveness Sorry, I'll say that again. Forgiveness comes from the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. In his great wisdom, God knew that the only way we could be free from guilt would be by him lavishing with you with grace and love and mercy. God is not stingy. He is not mean-spirited. Just the opposite. His undeserved love and favour are lavish. Forgiveness lavished all over our sin, covering all of your sin.
Verse 6 says that God gives this grace freely in Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. But if you are in Christ, if you believe and if belong to Jesus, it all becomes yours. When you sin, when you sin bad, you must remember and believe that your sin is covered, it's paid for. Forgiveness needs to be applied fresh by confessing your sin and asking God to lavish you with his mercy day by day. These verses ought to remind us that our assurance of salvation does not depend on how good we are. It depends all on how good God is. He chose you. Believe it. Trust in Jesus Christ alone. But to show God is true to his promise, he's done something more for you. He chose you. He forgave you. But thirdly, he sealed you. Remember, God chose you before you made the world. He saw you before you were born, or your parents, or even before he created the first two people, Adam and Eve. In his mind, God linked you to Jesus. But there was a time when that link became real for you. And Paul, Paul describes it in Ephesians 1-13, to where he says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were adopted when you heard God's truth when you receive the gospel of the good news about Jesus into your heart. And then on hearing, you believed. How? Why? Well, Paul describes it, continuing on from verse 13. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who truly hear, repent, and believe. Paul teaches us three truths about the Spirit. Spirit is promised. Jesus promised to send his Spirit to the disciples. He told them that the Counselor would come. His Spirit would comfort and strengthen and help. That's a promise you can trust. The promised Spirit will come if you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. The Spirit is also a seal. In Paul's day, if you had a, an important possession, you would find a secure container to keep it in. You'd put a wax seal on it. It's a mark of ownership to say that the container is yours and the contents are yours. God gives us his spirit as a seal. You now belong to him. You are his chosen child. Your life is joined to Christ. He lives with you and in you. And the Spirit is also a deposit. The sealing of the Holy Spirit on your life is like a down payment. You could compare it, I suppose, to putting a deposit on a house if you want to buy or rent it. It's a promise of more money to come later. When settlement comes, all the rest of the money will be handed over. The Spirit is God's guarantee to you that the fullness of God's presence, the fullness of his love, the fullness of Jesus Christ, the fullness of his joy, peace and provision will all one day be yours. When Jesus comes again, when he gathers his church, his bride into heaven, then the splendour of the Spirit will be poured out in all its fullness into our lives for all eternity. All this comes from God and it has a mighty purpose. He chose you 
has forgiven you, has sealed you for one important purpose, so that you might live for his glory. When you think that God thought of you before he made the universe and the world, when you think that he sent his son to pay for your sins and forgive you, when you experience the presence of the spirit indwelling in you, the guiding light of Christ, it makes you wonder, what does God want me to do? How do I respond to all of this? <clears throat> well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, 11 to 12, in him you were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God is looking for a response from you that you might live for the praise of his glory. Out of deep gratitude, I take this life he gave me and live it every day for his glory. Every day I praise him. Every day I commit to honour him. Every day I thank him for all that he's done for me. With Paul, every day you say his opening words, blessed be God, praise to God. And with Paul, every day you say his closing words, I live to the praise of his glory. As John Newton wrote, his grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So let's go out this week and live to the praise of his glory. Amen.